Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value, of more value than they? And can, he, can any of you by worrying, you worry man of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Donna. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse 8, we're reminded of the, the changing nature of life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so whether you are here in person or you're watching us online, I, I not only welcome you, but I encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible because This morning's passage hits close to home for all of us, and I want you to see the ways in which Jesus helps us to reset, to reset our hearts, to recalibrate our hearts. So let's look again at this passage. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we again thank you for this living word. It's active. It's powerful. It goes to the to the core of our beings. It discerns our thoughts. It uh, exposes the intents of our hearts. And Lord, we welcome that, and we pray that your enduring word will not only stay with us today, but we will take it home with us into the places where we live and work and serve, where we struggle, where we find joy, where we find great difficulties. Your word will come home to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And so my sisters and brothers, we come now to the second to the last question, the, the penultimate question, if you will, from the series that we've been doing all summer, the questions that Jesus asked. And if I could sum up the question that he's asking for us today is, the question is, why, why do you worry? Why do you worry? In C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, the senior devil would. Why they must tempt humans to worry and humans mind against the enemy. And if you've read C.S. Lewis, he's, when, he, when he refers to the enemy, when the devils refer to the enemy, they're really talking about Almighty God. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He, namely God, wants men, wants us, wants people to be concerned with what they do. That's God's agenda. God's all about, God's agenda is all about our living. But here's what the devils say. Our business, though, is to keep them thinking or to keep them worrying about what will happen to them. Corrie Boom once said that worry is an old man with a bowed head carrying a load of feathers which he thinks are lead. Worry, anxiety, yes, it has something to do with our mental state, how we think, what we think about. And if we marinate in worry and anxiety long enough, many of us become deeply pessimistic. We become, on the one hand, very pessimistic about the outcomes, about the future, about the next election, about America. We get pessimistic about all kinds of things because we're besotted with worry. But then, for some of us, it can also represent itself as a kind of naive optimism. A naive optimism. On either end, I don't think that's helpful. But worry isn't just a mental issue. It's a spiritual one. It's a spiritual one. When we worry, what we're doing is we are assuming a responsibility that God never intended for us. God never intended for us to have this kind of world on, resting on our shoulders. We're playing God and we're trying unsuccessfully to control the uncontrollable. Unrestrained worry then is a, is a joy killer. Almighty God created us for joy. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit dwell in inexpressible joy, and we've been invited into that joy, but worry comes along and sucks the joy out of us. And so we end up expecting the worst in life. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we worry? And I believe part of the answer rests in the verse that wasn't read. And if you have your Bibles open, if you would just look again, look again at verse 24. You read that again, masters or for a slave. Let me read that again. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
And some translations say mammon. We cannot serve God and wealth. Now, Jesus doesn't say it's unspiritual to serve two masters. He says it's impossible to serve God and mammon or God and wealth at the same time. Jesus doesn't want us to waste our time trying to do the impossible. Jesus doesn't want us to marry money and date God on the side. I, neither does he want us to marry God and date mammon or wealth or money. Instead, he calls disciples to choose. Choose between two lovers. Make a decision. Now, take a look at this passage because I think this passage gets to the root of what we just read in verse 24. A possible source of worry is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 where it says that the love of mammon, the love of money is a root. It's not the root of all kinds of evil, but it's one of many sources of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, and this is maybe with Tears, I believe Paul wrote these words. In their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. And so if the root is choosing or loving the wrong master, then the fruit of worry, the fruit that is born from choosing the wrong master is worry. Rabbi Hillel, who was a, a contemporary of Jesus, said that the more possessions, the more we care. But I think the converse is also true, that the less possessions, the more the care, because worry is not a problem of the poor, it's a problem of humanity, rich or poor. And that's why Jesus says in, chapter, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, that our lives, life does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess. Our lives are bigger than that. It's worth noting, and we, are, we, we aren't going to take the time to read this, but in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, if you're familiar with the story, the parable of the sower, the sower went out to, see, to sow and sow the seeds on various soils, and some fell among the weeds. And when Jesus explained the parable to his disciples, he says, well, you know what the weeds represent? When we hear God's word, we're excited that we're hearing God's word. We're excited to be in church, and we're saying, yes, I agree with that. But then once we leave church, once we leave the environment where, he, where we're hearing the word of God, then the worries of the world, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, like the weeds, they come in and they choke God's word to such a degree that it doesn't benefit us. And so the more things we have, the more we fear their loss. And so what are we to do? Well, first of all, we are not world deniers. We are not at least I am not an ascetic. We are material beings living in a material world, a world that God created and said it was good and all the music of this world and the art and the literature and the food and the clothing and, and, and enjoying sex and so many other things. God gave us those gifts so that we can enjoy them and yet the word on the street is that humanity were not satisfied. And the question is why? Well, St. Augustine, as he wrote, he said that our hearts are disordered 
It's disordered by our fallenness. Go back to what happened in the garden. Our hearts are disordered by our, our fallenness. And the things we ought to love, the things we ought to love, maybe third, fourth, fifth, even last, suddenly gets catapulted to number one. Our, 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 our love and our desires get, they get distorted. They get flipped. And so I think what Jesus is doing in Matthew 6 is to help us recalibrate, to help disciples reset and reorder their hearts. So if you still have your Bibles open, let's just do a, just a quick survey of what Jesus offers to us to help us recalibrate our hearts. Look at verse 25. And the way I would sum that up is that Jesus wants us to know that everything in this life, everything in this life is stamped with the word temporary. And I don't think there's anyone here in this room who would disagree with me. Everything in this life is stamped with the word temporary except your life, your soul. Your life is your most valued possession. Not long ago, I read a story about a man who tried to avoid the problem that Jesus cautions against. This man worked really hard all his life. He was frugal. He knew how to save a penny, and with great skill, he saved all of his money. His wife did call him a miser when it came to his money, and he loved his money more than anything in the world. And one day before he died, he called his wife over and he said to her, now listen, when I die, I want you to take all my money and place it in the casket with me. I thought it was only the Egyptians who thought that way. I want to take all my money to the afterlife. And so he got his wife to promise him with all of her heart. And so when he died, she would put all the money in the casket with him. Well, that day did finally come and the husband died. And there he is stretched out in the front of the sanctuary in his casket. His wife is sitting there on the front row dressed in black. Her best friend is sitting next to her. And when they finished the service, and just before the funeral director closed the casket, she went up and whispered to him, hold on a minute. And she went back and she picked up a few little boxes and strategically placed them in the casket, gave the funeral director the nod, he closed the casket and rolled it away. Her best friend said to her, I hope you weren't crazy enough to put all that money in there with that stingy old man. She said, yes, I promised. I'm a good Christian. I can't lie. I promised him that I was going to put that money in the casket. Her friend said, you mean to tell me that you put every cent of his money in the casket with him? I sure did, said the wife. I got it all together, put it in an account, and then I wrote a check. <laughs> she wrote several checks, put them in those little boxes. She kept her word. Well, it's all, if this man had only said and, that it's all temporary, when it's all said and done, we have to leave it behind. Look at verse 26. Jesus then helps us reorder our hearts by reminding us of our value. Things have value, but not supremely valuable as our value, where the Lord says, if God cares for the birds, won't God take care of you? God made the birds. God keeps them stocked with food. 
and the God who made you and the God who made me is God not capable of caring for us? That's the question you're going to answer. And so I think the best definition of worry and anxiety is imagining a future without Jesus. So if you take your top five worries, the things that keep you up at night, what we are often doing, we're looking into the future at the things that are just, just tearing us down, and Jesus is nowhere to be found in that future. You look at verse 27, Jesus then helps us recalibrate our hearts by reminding us, and this is hard for some of us to hear, there are some things we cannot control. And Jesus said it, worry doesn't lengthen your days. You, by worrying, you cannot add to your days. In fact, what will happen is worry will shorten your days. It will shorten your life. And then in verses 28 through 30, Jesus again helps us to recalibrate our hearts by reminding us that the things of this world, he repeats it again, the things of this world are fleeting. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. But remember, they're here today, and whatever tomorrow brings, they'll be gone. It's hard for me to watch the scenes from Maui and the town of Lahaina, where people went to bed one day, sleeping in their, in their home, cars parked in the front yard, calendars all marked up with to-do things, and the next day, it's gone. So Jesus is reminding us of it's fleeting. And then in verses 31 through 34, Jesus helps us then by inviting us to choose the highest good. Choose the highest good, the right priority. In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, a great book if you haven't read it in a while, Stephen Covey uses the metaphor of big rocks to describe the most important things in life. There's so many things coming at us, but there are some things that are most important. And Covey said, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. And that's why the pursuit of wealth gives us the things we think we control. Well, Jesus gives us something that we can control, but we can pursue. And if there's anything, there's nothing that is bigger, nothing more important than the king and his kingdom and his righteousness. And the message here isn't, well, if you seek God and his kingdom, then everything is going to be okay. You're going to have money in the bank. You're going to have clothes to wear. You're going to have food. You're going to have, you're going to have all of life's pleasures. No, that's not the message. The message is even bigger than that. That when you and I seek the king and his kingdom and his ways, that our hearts will be rightly calibrated and we will love God freely and we will love God passionately. We would love God in a boundaryless way. And then uh, the things of this world, yes, we enjoy them, but we remind ourselves that these things are borrowed, they're not mine. That when they put us in that casket, when that day comes, we will not, contrary to that story, take any of it with us. And so while we're alive, what do we do? We love God as our number one pursuit, and we use the things that God has given to us in service to his kingdom and as a way to bless others. And if you have the time and you read to the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 25, there is this very haunting story 
we've said it in the Nicene Creed, that a day will come when the king will come to judge the world. He will separate the sheep from the goat. And the folks who turned out to have missed the boat, who weren't included, they will say, Lord, how come we're not in? Jesus says, well, look, when I was a stranger, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was in prison, you guys were so busy pursuing your stuff, you didn't think about me. Well, the beautiful thing about pursuing the kingdom of God and pursuing the king and pursuing the ways of the king is that our priorities are rightly aligned. We're enjoying the goods of this world, but we're using them in some very concrete ways. Let me show you five very concrete ways Jesus says when your heart is rightly calibrated, you will do these five things joyfully. Nobody has to force you. Nobody has to manipulate you. You will see people and you will feed the hungry. You will give drink to the thirsty. You will, you will clothe the naked, care for strangers. You will visit the sick and imprisoned, and it will come as a core priority for you because this is the method. These are the values of the kingdom of God. Isn't it wonderful that the people who seek the king and his kingdom, they're never busy with the matters that are tertiary or low on the priority scale. They're not worried. They're not self-centered. It's not about them. They're not pining after more stuff. They're the happiest people in the world, not because of their possessions. They're grateful for the possessions, but they have the greatest treasure, and it's the king and his kingdom. So we're going to come to the communion table in a moment, and I want you to see a line from the Heidelberg Catechism that I never, ever tire of reading. It fills my heart. It helps me to recalibrate, and I hope it will do the same for you. From the Heidelberg Catechism, the question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer says that I am not my own. There it is. That's a, that's a heart that is set free for the kingdom of God. I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it continues. After making that, that stunning statement, the writer or the writers expound, and they say he has fully, here's why, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from from the tyranny of the devil who wants us to worry about the things we can't control. He also watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head. Well, I don't know what happened up here for me, <laughs> but there was a time when I could read that joyfully. Not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. That's how covered your life is. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because King Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, he assures us of eternal life and makes us wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly willing to calibrate him. We look to our Savior in the name of the in his hand. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Well, let's just pray together. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks this morning that all of life is in 
your hands. You have this whole world in your control. And so, Lord, this morning we lay our burdens down. We cast our cares and our anxieties to you. We trust you, knowing that you will never allow us to be uprooted or to be moved. Lord, renovate our hearts this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.